Well, good morning. It's good to uh, have everyone here this morning in the room and also for joining us online. Um, I am looking forward to, uh, to sharing uh, this morning uh, with you um, as we continue our journey through uh, the book of Acts. If you're new with us today or are joining us for the first time online, uh, we have been going through this look at this travel journal that was written by one of Jesus' closest followers named Luke. And he documents really what the beginning of the church is. Um, and that's what we have been studying and looking at. And where we are this morning is really our last uh, Sunday where we're going to look at this little section uh, that follows this incredible event that takes place. Uh, and the church is called this day Pentecost, um, which is really the event that led into um, what we see happening here. And, and what happens so far, just to bring everybody up to speed, I know you've heard this if you've been with us for the last few Sundays, but I'm going to just give you the context again. So we have this group of Jesus followers that have been waiting in this upper room as he promised, and the Holy Spirit descends on them. And, and a man named Peter gets up and he preaches this incredible sermon to this large crowd that has gathered because they heard the sound of a rushing wind. And I love the way that Andy Stanley, Andy Stanley summarizes uh, what Peter preached. He said, uh, you killed him, God raised him, we've seen him, say you're sorry. I mean, that's the essence of what <laughs> Peter preaches that day. And in response, 3,000 people say yes to Jesus. They say we're sorry. And right after that is this passage that we have been in for these last three weeks. And if you don't have one of these, you're more than welcome to take. We put, we've made available these little travel or these little Acts journals. Um, they're under the seat. If you don't have one, please feel free to grab one of those um, and take it with you. You can mark it up, make notes in it. It's got little, a place for that. And we're going to be on page 18 again uh, this Sunday. Acts 2, 42 through 47, it says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. And like we've mentioned before, what makes this so remarkable is there was no organization called the church, and there was no building to go to, and there wasn't even a Bible to study, and yet we see this happening. And and, and what causes, what, so what causes this group of, of neighbors and strangers to start acting like family and not the dysfunctional form of family? Not yet, anyway. I, I mean, this had to be the work of God, and it had to be the work of, of God, the, God in the person of the Holy Spirit moving in this group of people. And, and so far, we've talked about uh, what comes out of this amazing restored relationship that's been made possible by what Jesus did for us on the cross, this restored relationship with God. 
And, and we've talked about two specific things that we've seen happening with this group that, that all of a sudden, it, with joy and freedom, they're experiencing living generously. And, and then they also have this amazing gift of being able to listen to and to be able to, to communicate with God himself. And as Dustin talked about like this, this idea of communing with God every moment of every day. And this morning, we're going to close out our look at this section of Scripture and this little snapshot of what this newly formed church looked like by looking at one word that I think describes everything that you see in these verses. And, and frankly, it's a word that, that really we view smaller than the word really is and often we limit it to a specific time or a specific place or an activity. And I know that's often how I've viewed it. And that word is worship. And maybe for you, when I mention the word worship, uh, these things begin to come to mind. You think of music, like we, what we just did on the stage. Or, or you think of a service, or you think of an activity or surrounding some sort of religious ceremony. And, and yes, those things are worship, but it's only a small fraction of what worship is. And what I would like to do over the next few minutes with you is to look really at two different things. One, I want to take a big picture look at worship, kind of under the umbrella of why we worship. And then... I want us to see worship this morning probably in a way that may be very unfamiliar, like a different way of looking at worship. So first, let's look at the big picture. Have you ever just like contemplated this? Have you ever asked the question, why did God create us? Like, why, why did he make us? I mean, was he, was he bored? And just needed something to do? I mean, was he lonely? I, I no. I mean, I, I think to understand why God created us, we have to look back at something that Dustin had shared with us about who God is. And I'm going to throw up this diagram that maybe is familiar and maybe you're looking at this for the first time. You, you see, what this diagram tries to capture is really the essence of who God is, that God is one being, but he exists in three distinct persons. And what we call this is the Trinity. God being one being, but existing in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And from all eternity, these three persons have existed in perfect relationship with one another, glorifying, desiring, and loving one another perfectly. And God has always existed in this perfect relationship. So it couldn't be that he was lonely because he had this relationship within himself. And I believe that what we see is that God created us so that we too can share in this amazing perfect relationship. In other words, it was out of this perfect relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that God created. And the scripture says that we were created in his image. We bear this longing to glorify 
and desire and love God. Like those are the things that we long for because we've been created in the image of God. And so just as in the Trinity, their love and desire was focused on the other person of the Trinity, our love and desire is focused on God. And this is the way it was supposed to be. We were created to have this amazing, intimate, and loving relationship with God. We were created to worship. And not because God needed someone to love him. Not because God needed someone to worship him. He already had that within who he was. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But then sin entered the world. And what we often do with sin is we often reduce sin to a list, right? We, we make a list of things that we call sin. And in reality, what those are, are they are byproducts of sin, those lists. And really, what sin has done, it has twisted our desire. Sin twisted our desire from God to self. And we no longer were lovers of God, but we became lovers of self. And that's what sin does. Sin always twists desire. And that is the essence of what worship is. Worship is desire. It's what or who you want the most. It's about attention. It's about priority. What do you spend your time doing? Or, or who do you think about the most? It's about worth. It's about value. What is it you value the most? And, and, and in turn, where do you find your worth or value? It's about affection. What or who is it that you love the most? That's what worship is. It's why God gave the first two commandments that you see in Exodus chapter 20. He, the first two commandments are, you, you, shouldn't, you can't have any other gods before me and don't make anything, don't make any images and worship them. And both of these are about worship. And God is saying, you, you, are, are, you have been made in order to just desire me above everything Else, it's also why Jesus said that the greatest commandment was this in Matthew 22, verse 37. He said, This you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Why? Not because God needs our love, not because God needs our worship, it's because that's how we were created. Because God is realigning our desire our worship back towards him as it was originally designed to be. And, and this is why this is so important, man. I hope that we grasp this. This is why it's so important. It's not because God is on some sort of ego trip. It's because he is the only one worthy of our worship. 
Get this. Everyone worships. Everyone worships. I don't care if you're an atheist. I don't care if you're agnostic. I don't care what your belief system is. Everyone worships. The problem is if we worship anyone or anything else, they or it will always disappoint and fail us. It will rust or it will break or it will hurt you or it will fail you in some way. God is the only one who can truly satisfy. Why? You're going to love this. Because he's God. I mean, he, he is creator. He made us in his image. He, he is all powerful. He is all knowing. He is love. He is good. He, he first loved us and he gave himself on a cross for us. He paid a price that we couldn't pay. He has rescued us. He's redeemed us. He's restored us back into a relationship with him. He has given us life and he has given us hope and he has turned our desire back to him. And you see, as a result of this, we become like what we worship. We become like what we worship. And what worship does is worship aligns us with God, and because it aligns us with God, it begins to align us back in relationship with others. And this is what we see happening in this passage, this passage that we just read in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, you see they're, because they're aligned in their relationship back with God, God has restored this relationship, the relationships with one another are becoming aligned, and that's why they're able to sell and share everything that they have. It's why they desire, they don't just like, all right, we got to go to meeting tonight. I mean, they want to be with each other. They're meeting and eating together. They're celebrating and rejoicing. The word fellowship in this passage is an interesting word. It's a Greek word uh, that the, a Greek word uh, named koinonia is the, is the phrase, and, and and it's a word unlike anything else that we really have in our own language. This Greek word was this idea of this intimate fellowship, uh, of this really deep connectedness. It wasn't just like something you do after you know we call an after church fellowship, like you do this potluck thing. Which if you ask the staff team, I just have this aversion of potluck, potlucks for some reason. It brings back. Some, some bad childhood memories. But, but sometimes we call fellowship, and it's not fellowship at all. I mean, the fellowship that they had was this intimate, deep, connected relationship. And that's all because of worship. So for the last part of this message, what I want to look at is, a, is another passage that I think really captures what Worship lived out every day looks like, and I probably guarantee for most of us this morning, it won't look like anything that you think it looks like. And it's so much more than just an hour on a Sunday morning. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 12. Yes, the whole chapter. Paul writes this letter to a group of Roman Christians who are facing persecution, so don't miss that. Like, they're under persecution. Like, the Romans don't like them. Bad things are happening to them. So get the context of where he's writing this. 
And Paul writes this, he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. And catch this, what is a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God? This is your true and proper worship. Offering your body as a living sacrifice is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And what Paul is saying here is because of what Jesus has done for us, in view of God's mercy, in fact that he sent Jesus to die for you and for me, and paid the price for our sin, and in the view of God doing that, while we were still sinners, while we were still messed up, while we didn't deserve it or we couldn't earn it, Jesus came and paid the price for us in view of what God has done for us. He says, your response to this, how we respond, is we offer ourselves as living sacrifices. And living sacrifice is an interesting term because typically a sacrifice did not survive. Thus, sacrifice. And, and he says that this living sacrifice that we are supposed to be is what worship looks like. And what I believe happens is then Paul begins to describe in the rest of this chapter what a living sacrifice looks like, what worship is. So let's look at this. He continues. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, get this, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So he gets right down to it, right? First things first, stop making it all about you. We are all broken. And it is only by God's grace that we even have life and hope. Don't be self-righteous. You know what your good works are? Like filthy rags. Don't feel good about the fact that you can do good. You know, worship is recognizing what God has done for us, and apart from him, we are nothing. Then he goes on. Oh, this gets more fun as we go. For, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, through many, form one body. Each member belongs to all the others. And what, In other words, he's trying to illustrate what, this, what the church is all about. It's, it's the idea that each of us is unique, each of us is different, but each of us has a role to play that brings everything together. And he says, we have different gifts. According to the grace given to each of us, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And we, we described this early on in this, in this series where we looked at the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit gives us each unique gifts. These aren't like talents, these aren't abilities that we have. These are things that the Spirit alone gives us supernaturally. 
And the reason that he does it is not just so that we can feel good about ourselves and not so that we can just like puff ourselves up and say, oh man, I'm Joe Christian, I've got it all together and I can do great things for God. No, he gives us these gifts so that we can bless others, so that we can serve others, so that we can come alongside others. And it's not just others in the church, it's others outside of the church as well. And so what we see worship, worship is using your gift to serve others. And then he goes on, he says this, just this one sentence, love must be sincere. Worship is really loving others. I mean, I just, not just saying I love you, it, it, it requires something more from us, it requires action. It's messy. Loving others is messy. Uh, loving others takes time. And, and oftentimes when we love others, we don't get reciprocated, right? But worship is really loving others. And he goes on. He says this. He says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Now, keep in mind that this is not just a general hanging out there. Like, Paul didn't just have this, like, ADD moment where he just threw this clause in because, you know, oh yeah, I forgot to put the hate and love thing in there. I mean, this is in the context of relationship. This is in the context. He's, he's going to talk in, in just a few sentences about being devoted to one another. Like sandwich between love one another devoted is, is this idea of hate and love. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And, and really, in the context of relationship, evil is anything that destroys relationship. It's anything that destroys relationship that we should not just avoid it, but, but we should despise it. Like we shouldn't have anything to do with anything that would tear down a relationship. But we should cling to good. That's what worship is. Worship is hating those things that would destroy a relationship and clinging to the good things that bind a relationship together. That's what worship is. And then he goes on, he says this, he says, be devoted to one another in love. There's that word devoted again. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking for zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Man, there's a lot here, right? I mean, he goes to this boom, 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 boom list of what worship is. Worship is, so first of all, we see worship is being devoted to one another. And like we said a few weeks ago, this word devoted means being good with. That's the idea of, of devoted. That's what that word means, being good with. And so what this looks like, what worship looks like is investing time with others. Investing time in others. Intentionally. Over and over and over again. That's what devoted to one another is. It's calling somebody. It's checking in on somebody. It's inviting somebody. It's spending time with others. That's what devoted to one another. That's what worship is. Worship is serving the Lord with passion. That's what zeal means, passion. Not out of a duty or obligation. Like, you do this stuff because... Because, again, it comes out of who God is and what he's done for us. It's, it, it stirs you. Not just because I have to. Not because it's just a box to check. Not because, you know, Jamie keeps talking about the fact that he wants us to serve. Like, that's not it. it it's this passion out of what God's done. That's what worship is. Worship is 
finding joy in the hope we have because of Jesus. I think that's where a lot of the songs that we sing come out of. Like this hope that Jesus has given us, like we have joy in that. That's that's our source of joy, is what Jesus has done for us and the hope that we have because of that. Like there's nothing better, nothing better. Worship, Worship is enduring hardships and suffering. Man, that's hard. Patience and affliction. Enduring hardships and suffering is worship. Worship is communing with God. That's what the prayer is. Like Dustin talked about, it's talking to him, but more importantly, listening to him. Just being aware of the fact that God is with us and God's spirit is in us. Worship, like we see in this chapter, or in this this verse, Acts 2.42, worship is sharing with others in need. Whether it's sharing what you have or selling your possessions and sharing with those in need, that's worship. And worship is practicing hospitality. Now, hospitality is, is somewhat easy for people that we know and like. But, but this word hospitality that Paul uses here, this, this practice of hospitality, really means welcoming strangers. That, that's what hospitality is. And, and so work, worship is opening your home to people that you may not know so well, that may start out as strangers, but soon they become friends. Oh, but it gets better. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, and live in harmony with one another. Worship is blessing those who persecute you. Now, remind, just a reminder to who Paul's writing here. Paul is writing to people who are being killed by the Romans. Okay, that's real persecution. We don't, let's be honest, we, we don't really face persecution. But we do face ridicule. We do have people that have different perspectives and points of view than we do. Whether that's in regards to a whole litany of things, right? And so to put this in the context that we may better understand today, Rather than arguing with people that have a different point of view than you do, what Paul's saying here is worship is blessing them. Okay, you can have an opinion. Worship is, get this, worship is presence and participation in the joy and in the hurts of others. Presence and participation in the joy and in the hurts of others. I mean, it's being present with somebody when they're going through really, really difficult things. It's also being present with somebody when they're going through really great things. That's hard sometimes, right? When people are getting things, like they're rejoicing in good things that are happening, maybe not so good things are happening to you. That's what worship is. It's presence and participation in the joy and the hurts of others. And, and, And worship seeks harmony in relationships, whatever it is. Harmony in relationships. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. Worship doesn't really care. 
what somebody else brings to the table when it comes to relationships. Like, you're not just chasing after people who are like you. You're not just chasing after people who somehow maybe make things better for you. Like, true worship, like the, the kind of worship of a living sacrifice, worship doesn't really care what, who some, where someone's coming from. Doesn't care what they can, may, may or not, may not be able to do for you. And get this, worship doesn't even consider self at all. And just when you thought it couldn't get more difficult, then there's this. He concludes this chapter of living sacrifice with these words. Do not repay anyone. Anyone. What do you think that means? It means anyone. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Worship doesn't get even or seek revenge. Worship, as much as it's possible for you, lives at peace with everyone. Worship actually cares for our enemies. And worship overcomes evil with good. That's what worship is. That's, that's how we live this out every day. It's not like you pop a song on in the morning and that's worship. And you may be sitting here thinking this morning, yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> there is no way I can do this. And you know, when I look through this list, me neither. No way, not even close. And honestly, you're right. You can't do this. By yourself, through your own ability, just trying harder, you cannot do this. But this is what the Spirit of God does through us. That's why His presence is so important. And, and that's really what Paul was talking about when he started this whole passage, where he said, the renewing of, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not like, you just renew your mind. I'm just going to change my mind and just start doing this. There's, there's a process of transformation that the Holy Spirit is doing in us that allows us to be able to live this way with others. It's what the Spirit continually does, and that begins to shape us into the worshipers God had originally designed us to be. Don't, don't miss it. Jesus was asked the second part of that in Matthew 22, the second part of what Jesus says there. It says, the, the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and he says the second is like it. In other words, it's almost like equal playing, right? That you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. And 
that's what this is. This is worship. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just continue to transform us by your spirit. God, man, I am not good enough to do this. I need you. We need you, Father, to transform us by your spirit to be wor the worshipers that you have meant us to be from the very beginning. Would you continue to work and to move and to shape us as only you can in this Jesus' name, I ask these things.